Welcome to the Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to help you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to run an effective and efficient remote team. Over the last couple of years, more and more people have become remote workers and more distributed companies have come along. At Asian Efficiency, we've been a distributed company since we started in 2011, where everyone lives all over the world. Working in a remote company is very different from working in an office building. And today we will share our eight best strategies and systems for running an Asian efficient remote team. And now on with the show. Hey there, it's Tan, founder and CEO of Asian Efficiency. I'll be taking over today from Mike, who's enjoying a week off up in nature somewhere. And with me, I have Brooks Duncan. How's it going, Brooks? I'm doing really well. I'm super looking forward to this. This is a I've been on both sides of this fence, so I'm really excited to talk about this. Yeah, we're going to be talking about running an effective and efficient remote team. This is a topic where we want to sort of nerd out when it comes to systems and procedures and best practices because we've been doing this since 2011, since Asian efficiency started. When we first started off, we wanted to create a distributed company. And this means that people We'd be working at the company from all over the world. And we wanted to build something that was kind of unknown at the time, because at that time, there weren't a lot of distributed companies. Now in 2017, that is still not so common, but it has become more common uh, among people who start an online business or do some sort of work online. And so for me personally, I've... I personally just love working remote. I don't know about you. How, how do you feel about working remote, Brooks? Yeah, I love it too. And in fact, it was a big sales point for me when joining AE is I wanted that remote uh, work setup. So it's actually can be a recruiting tool. Yeah, I never thought about that until we started hiring a lot of people because then a lot of objections and questions were about, okay, if you guys are remote, you know, how does the schedule work? How do you guys work together? Is it really that flexible? Is it the paradise that everybody seems to be talking about? And we're going to talk about all that sort of stuff as well and give you some of the systems and tools that we use and some of the best practices that we've learned over the last six years of running a remote team. Now, before Asian Efficiency, I was working in an office building and there, there are a lot of pros and cons to working in that kind of environment. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But in between that office shop that I have and starting Asian Efficiency, I had like some sort of, I wouldn't call them online ventures, but I was making a little bit of money online at the time. And I was traveling a lot and trying to find myself and going through the dark ages of task management and figuring out what to do with my life. And at that time, I did have remote workers, but there were more virtual assistants. So it wasn't really collaborative. It was just more along the lines of, hey, I need to get this done. Let me type it up in an email. And then hopefully 24 hours later, it's done. And this is very different from what we have going on right now at Asian Efficiency, which is very collaborative. Everybody is working together on stuff and we have like regular meetings and stuff like that. And we're going to dive into that in more detail. But uh, Brooks, what is your background when it comes to working remote? Yeah, so I... Well, have been on a remote team since joining Agent Efficiency, of course. And I had run my own business with kind of similar to you, uh, some VAs here and there, not super collaboratively, 
But before that, I was kind of on the other side where I worked in an office and the whole company was pretty much in an office except for some salespeople and stuff like that. And I had a local team. My entire team was there with me. But then we started trying out some remote employees and uh, I made lots of mistakes along the way. So I'll kind of layer those in as we talk about these things. So I've had them and I've run them. And one thing I do want to say about this topic is even if you're thinking to yourself, my company isn't remote, I, I have no interest in having a quote unquote remote organization. The stuff we're going to talk about can be really helpful when it comes to things like disaster recovery, business continuity. You want that ability for your employees to work from wherever they are, even if you don't want to do it as a regular way, but you want your business to keep going remotely if that ever needs to happen. Yeah, that's a great point you bring up because one of the things I see happen a lot among people who work in, let's say, a corporate environment or they have a job where they have to be in a certain location or office building, what happens sometimes is they'll be sick or they don't feel as, as good as they normally feel and they they still have to work, but then can't physically be at the location. Or let's say somebody is just overworked and they need to you know work from home every now and then or just like a family emergency and they can't really show up at work on time, but they still can get stuff done. Like you just said, if if you listen all the way till the end, you'll find some of the systems that we have and that we run and that we've sort of figured out over time that you can implement even if you don't have remote workers because there will be instances where people will have to work from home for some reason and you can still have that continuity going on. That was my entire motivation for starting this process back in my corporate days. So I think people will get a lot of value, even if they don't have a remote team. Now, when people think about remote teams, they think it's paradise. And I'm sure, <laughs> Brooks, when <laughs> when you first started thinking about working remotely, you saw the pictures online. You saw the people laying down in a hammock by the beach <laughs> with a laptop there. And you saw people drinking coconut water on the beaches and whatever they were, anywhere exotic or tropical you know, people think that working remote is like the best thing in the world. But I'm going to have to burst that bubble a little bit because that is, I mean, technically, yes, you can do that. But as I'll talk about later, it's not the most productive thing in the world. And then also working remotely has a lot of downsides as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit shortly. But don't think that working remotely is the end all be all to being happy or to live like a luxury lifestyle or anything like that, because that's what you'll see online. And that's what you'll see people portraying, whether that's on Instagram, Facebook, or, you know, anywhere online. But the reality is, and I've been doing this for over six years, I can tell you it's not, it's not that glamorous. <laughs> Briggs, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say that about the about the beaches and stuff like that. That's like 75% of the stock photos out there is somebody sitting on a beach using a using a laptop. And if somebody doesn't like their role, doesn't like what they're doing, doesn't like their job or their company's missions or any of that sort of stuff, working remotely is not going to fix that. And if you if you're an employer and you, your employees aren't happy, sometimes they'll give remote work as kind of a, a 
a carrot and that can work for a short time, but it's, it's not a be all end all. You've got to think of the whole holistic system. Yeah. And sometimes you, you'll see it even as a last resort to keep people around. Like if people are thinking about leaving, sometimes an employer might say, well, you know, what if you work two days from home Would that, you know, solve things. And a lot of times people will take uh, that offer, but like you said, it's usually just a temporary solution. And then you kind of start to thread on like really fragile pieces there because that, then everybody's going to say, well, if that person can do it, I can do it. And um, <laughs> that's where things start to morph a little bit because then if you allow a lot of other people to do the same thing, you become like a hybrid where you have office workers, but also remote workers. And how do you deal with that? Which is a completely different beast. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. So I know we've been teasing a lot. So <laughs> let's just get into like the muni stuff here. Now, before we get started, I want to say that, you know, there's pros and cons to having a remote team or a distributed company. And when I say remote team or distributed company, I really mean the same thing. Now, some of the negatives about running a remote team is that, from my own experience, brainstorming and collaboration is a lot more difficult and not as effective. It's one of the reasons why when we do quarterly planning, we always do it in person because I find just the ideation that comes out of being in the same room, looking at each other, just going back and forth while we're sitting at the same table is just 10 times more powerful than doing it over Skype or even Zoom. And I know technology has come a long way and you'll see this like fancy Cisco <laughs> stuff in commercials and like on TV and like at the White House shows and stuff like that. But it's just not the same as being in the same room. And I'm sure Brooks, you've noticed as well as we've been doing our quarterly planning, comparing that to, for example, let's say the strategy meetings that we have every now and then, it's just not the same. Yeah. Uh, and we're not saying that you can't brainstorm remotely and you can't collaborate remotely because we definitely do a lot of that and a lot of people do as well. But, you know, we're talking pros and cons and it's just not quite as good. You've got to do extra things to try and get a, around that. And one of ours is, like you said, having in-person meetups for the really, really important stuff, but uh, it, it's not quite as good. Now, another negative is... And this is really, <laughs> depending how you look at it, but it's more difficult to have impromptu chats. Do you want to elaborate on this? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, think about working in an office, you have a question, like a quick something you want to run by someone and they're sitting beside you or, or just a couple feet away. You can just walk over there, see what's up. You can see if they're busy or not because they maybe have their headphones on. You can have these impromptu chats remotely too, of course, but it's again, not quite as easy as just rolling your chair over to someone's desk and asking them. Like you said, that can be a, a good or a bad thing depending on how important that chat is, but um, it is a downside. The other one I would say is the social aspect of working remotely. And this is something a lot of people won't admit or really talk about, but it can be really lonely working remotely. When you work from home and there's nobody around you and you're single and you live in like a big city, it can be really, really lonely, especially when you're traveling by yourself, if you don't have a lot of friends, if you don't uh, make friends very easily, it can be really lonely. 
And so if you are a social person, if you like to have like water cooler talk with people, see them face to face, be physical with them, like hugging and touching and all that stuff to, you know, whatever is legally allowed in in the workplace, (laughs) then working remotely might not be for you. And I've had a lot of friends who went that route where they tried to live the remote lifestyle and they ended up going back to an office job because they needed that social connection. They needed to be around people and seeing them face to face and shaking their hands and doing all the stuff in person. So it's not for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Um, Using my wife as an example, she's somebody who really, really values that in-person contact. And I know she's never worked remotely, but I know she would struggle with that a lot. That's just the way her personality type is. So yeah, it, it can definitely be lonely. And if you think about in the in the modern times, a lot of our friendships come out of coworkers, you know, friends of coworkers, or maybe you hang out with your coworkers and that sort of thing. And when you work remotely, your coworkers can be in a different city or even a different country. So you don't have that base of in-person friendship. So you've got to generate it another way. Yeah. And that doesn't come easy to everyone. So if that is you, remote working <laughs> might not be for you. Yep. And this is actually a simple way to test for this, which is something you can uh, validate on the Colby test. So if you take the Colby test and you score a four or lower on the implementer trait, then you're generally suited to work in a remote team because that's uh, with that range of score, you visualize mostly, you like to think through thing, uh, think through stuff. Whereas if you score a five or high, you tend to be somebody who likes to experience things physically, like touching stuff, being hands-on with certain things, not using your brain, quote-unquote, not as much to experience things. So if you take the Colby test and you score five or higher, working remotely will not be the right move for you. And this is something that is based on something I've realized in talking to different Colby consultants about this. So this is a really... Really important insight, guys. If you are thinking about starting a remote company, essentially you want to hire everybody who is a four or lower on the implementer. If not, you're going to run into issues, which is like people leaving, people being unhappy. You know, you're trying to move stuff around in the company, infrastructure-wise, operations, just to cater to people. When if you don't know that they're just not suited for that role, you're you know you could potentially lose your business because of that. So that's something to be aware of. Yep. Now, the, the next point is, and this is something you wrote down, Brooks, which I find an interesting bullet point here. You said team members can choose how present they want to be. What do you mean with that? If you think about it, it, and this is something that really comes into play if you do have a hybrid team. But if you think about it, if you're working remotely and you're not participating in the whatever communication system you have, you're not calling people, you're not checking things into your work system, whatever that is. Nobody can see and hear you. (laughs) Nobody knows if you're working or not. Uh, So one of the downsides is if if everyone's in in the same room, in the same company, you can see generally what your coworker is doing. You can generally see that they're, that they're working when they're, when you're remotely, it's almost flipped. Like they, the team members are choosing how they want to be portrayed. 
So that's something you always have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. You can't really see if they're texting while you're having on the, you know, on a call. Uh, they could be like browsing five different tabs at the same time <laughs> while you're yeah. having a call. So it's kind of difficult to kind of gauge how engaged they are sometimes or how present they are. So if you are somebody who, I mean, most people will not admit this, but if you are a micromanager and you like to be alongside your team members, working remotely is not for you. <laughs> yeah, that, and a lot of, a lot of managers, uh, middle managers especially, struggle with that because for them, uh, presence equals productivity. Like you, you have to see the person there from nine to five. And if they're not in your line of sight, then they're, they must be goofing around. So like we said, certain type of people are good f- for remote and cer- certain type of people aren't. But on the flip side, certain type of managers are good for managing repo- remote workers and certain managers aren't. So it's really important to get both sides of that fix right. Now, speaking of management, one of the things that's real important and a keystone of any sort of successful business is having the right people, but also having that chemistry within your team as well. And being in a remote company, that is a lot more difficult because there's no such thing as like, hey, let's go out for happy hour right after work or, hey, happy birthday, here's a cake. Oh, wait, no, we can't we can't really do that or sing for you. So that's uh, that's something we've always struggled with internally. How do we overcome that and address that and um, the way we do it is by either uh, bring it up on the calls that we have or we'll send people gifts or uh, when we do something in person we'll bring it up again even though it might have happened like many weeks ago or even months ago but uh, that's one of the other downsides as well is that it's kind of difficult to build that chemistry yeah and there's things you can do but it and we're talking about pros and cons here. And one of the cons is it's never going to be as good as, you know, doing a company shoreline cleanup or, you know what, I'm just picking out an example, but so it's never going to be quite as good. So you've got to really generate it actively. You can't just leave it to your team members to somehow hope they, they gel because there aren't as many opportunities to gel. Now we've talked a lot about the, cons here, but I also want to talk about the pros, the advantages of working remote and why personally I love it. And I think is the way to go and the way to work and the way to live. And I'm sure you agree, <laughs> Brooks, <laughs> since you're here. But the main thing for me is just flexible schedule, a flexible schedule. I can't emphasize that enough. Being able to work whenever you want to, being able to wake up whenever you want to, being able to decide what your hours are, that is such a freeing feeling. And it's it really represents freedom in a lot of ways. And I think that is something everybody is looking for. Being able to be in a position where you decide how you want to spend your time, right? That's one of the reasons why we're all trying to figure out productivity is creating that time freedom so we can decide how we want to spend our time. And when you have a remote team, yes, you know, there are certain boundaries in terms of when you have to show up and when you have to do certain work. But for the most part, you can schedule pretty much whatever you want to do. So I'm sure for Brooks, your situation is going to be different from mine because you know I'm by myself. I live alone. I live in like a city where I like to go out and meet people and just hang out and explore new things and, and stuff like that. Whereas you know, you're like in, in suburbia somewhere in <laughs> Vancouver. 
you have a family, you have a wife, you know, you have like practice that you have to go to and dropping kids off and stuff like that. So what is, what is it about remote working for you when it comes to like scheduling and having the flexibility that makes you so appreciative of it? Yeah, well, you just nailed it. By having a flexible schedule, you can, I mean, you still have to get the work done. That's the most important thing. But if you, well, here's an example that came up yesterday. Uh, as we're going to talk about at AE, we have a, a meeting rhythm. We have certain meetings and we have a meeting every day at nine o'clock my time. And uh, so I hopped on the meeting. We're talking about what we're going to do that day. But on the Skype app of my phone, I accidentally hit the camera. And so all of a sudden, everyone was watching me sitting in my car because I was doing this call from a school parking lot because I had just dropped my kids off to a day camp. And so everyone was kind of laughing about that, but that I was doing it from my car. But that's the idea. Like I can take my kids to stuff. I can, you know, do all sorts of things because I have that flexibility. As long as I'm able to do what needs to be done, it's totally fine. No one's going to be like, oh, Brooks is busted. He's working from a car. Uh, it's just the way it is. Yeah, it's almost like we applaud that you made it to the huddle anywhere you were. <laughs> it was touch and go. <laughs> now, what you mentioned is as long as you get the work done, everything is okay. And this is something that I see as a pro because results are very black and white. When you have a remote team, at least from the management point of view, the results are very clear. You either got it done or you didn't. There's no like excuses. There's no like, oh, you know, like we were talking about it, but you know, things got delayed and stuff like that. No, if you work in a remote team, you're going to see very clearly and very quickly who gets the work done and who doesn't because it's very, either that thing got checked off or it didn't. And so that makes it super easy to manage people because there's no like, you know, drama, there's no story behind certain excuses. There's no like water cooler talk that might have, you know, built that like extra relationship where you then, you know, you give people leeway. Mm -hmm. Because you're remote and you're a little bit further away from people, it's just very clear if somebody performed or not. And if somebody didn't, then, you know, you want to address that, obviously, and somebody did, then great. You know, you, you, it's very easy to tell. Whereas in, I feel like in an office building, that's sometimes more difficult, even if you have strict deadlines, because there's always an emergency that might give you an excuse to say, oh, you know, well, this thing came up at the last minute and that's why I couldn't do it. I feel like in a remote team, that is not the case. Yeah, definitely. And if you're in a local team and something comes up that you have to go take care of, well, your productivity has fallen through the floor because you've left the building where you're able to get your work done. Whereas when you're a remote team, you're able to get stuff done from anywhere. So you have that ability to, to make things up if, if you're not, if something comes up. And anyone who's worked in an office is probably very familiar with exactly what you talked about, where everyone feels like they had this coworker that didn't really do much, but maybe the manager liked them or whatever. So they always seem to get a pass. And like you said, in a remote team, and this is one thing that's really important. We're going to talk about this later to set up the systems and stuff like this to uh, allow for this. But with a remote team, yeah, it's very, <laughs> it's very clear who, who is doing what and if it's getting done or not. 
Yeah, and this is, for me personally, one of the key aspects of running an effective team is you have very clear insights on what's going on and when something got done or not. So that's something, if that is something that you find important, I think having a remote team is really the way to go. Now, the other thing I will say is if you are a little bit more introverted, if you are somebody who's not a social, then working remote is actually a very great way to get work done and to do some of your best work because there aren't people around you. You can literally create your own schedule. You can carve out that time in order for you to do deep work, to focus and be creative because there's nobody around you to distract you. Now, assuming you know you have things like boundaries in place for children, for your significant other. And that is something that we'll talk about later as well, but that's somewhat relatively easy to address. Whereas if you work in an office building, it's so easy to get interrupted by having people come in and walking in whenever they want to. So working remotely, I find just makes that so much easier. Yeah, definitely. And it, I would actually be interested to know I, I guess no one's ever done a study on this, but for people who choose remote work, how many are on the more introvert side of the spectrum? Because you're right, it is a, it is kind of an introvert's dream that uh, you're able to just focus on your work. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to my corporate office career, and you know how many times people would be dropping by. Uh, just for, you know, nonsense, basically. Uh, and that kind of all goes away when you're working remotely. If you need to get into a deep work state and focus, you can temporarily shut down a lot of these communication tools that we use to really focus. But it's it's not as easy to, to shut all that down when you're in an office. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, the last thing and one of the biggest advantages of working remote at least to me, is that you can work however you want to. So if you want to wear your favorite pajamas with your hair all messed up and music playing in the background, you're listening to a TV show in the background, your kids are running around screaming and yelling, but you're still enjoying all the things you want to do, that's totally fine. Nobody cares because like I said earlier, as long as the results are being delivered, it's very black and white if you got your stuff done or not. So you can literally work however you want to. So for me, <laughs> I literally just wake up, roll out, my hair is all messed up, and just I do I do my morning ritual, go through that, get ready, and I usually don't even get dressed up that much. Sometimes um, what I'll do is if I really need to focus, I'll actually dress up because I pu- it puts me in a right mindset. When I dress well and I do my hair, that's the key thing is if I do my hair, usually everything else of my appearance usually gets addressed. So then I put myself in a mindset to focus and to be presentable and to say, okay, I got dressed up. I'm here to get you know stuff done. Let's go do this. So the key for me personally is, okay, as long as I do my hair, everything else just falls <laughs> in place. And then I you know play some music in the background just to get myself in the mood. And I'll put my headphones on whenever I want to do deep work. And then I get to work. So I can literally do the work I want to do and the way I want to do it. And that, again, is another sign of just having the freedom to do what you want to do, but also in the way you want to work. Yeah, if you want to, if you do your best work by listening to death metal or something like that, uh, you can crank it up. 
if you're somebody who really likes to microwave sweat, smelly food, uh, you can do that too. You're not going to annoy your whole office. Um, it's funny you say that about dressing up though. I was going to mention that because one thing you hear a lot is people say, oh, I could never, um, I could never work from home because I would spend all my time watching TV or something like that. And, and what you said is, is one of the hacks that I have is if you really want to show up for work, uh, one tip is, I mean, you don't have to like wear a suit or anything like that, but just getting dressed uh, and ready to go can put you in that work mindset versus that sit around at home mindset. Yeah. And I usually like to do it when I know I'm going to leave that day as well. I need to run some errands or something, or I'm going to meet somebody for lunch or dinner later that day. I just like to just set the tone from the start, right? Which is why we always talk about eating your frog because it sets the tone for the rest of your day. If you get the hardest thing done first thing in the morning, everything else is going to be relatively easy. It's the same thing with when you dress well, you set the tone for the rest of the day, right? Because you're there to get work done. You're not there. To, you didn't dress up. You didn't spend your 15 minutes if you're a dude or 50 or an hour if you're a woman sometimes like getting ready to do nothing. Like you got ready so that you are serious about doing what you need to do. So uh, those are some of the pros. And do you know I think... I mean, this is kind of a minor thing. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes because I've been doing it for so long, Brooks, I feel like I've, I don't appreciate certain things enough anymore because I'm so used to it. But just being able to schedule your own lunchtime and whenever you want to and where you want to is just, for me, it's just like a normal thing. But I can imagine for a lot of people, that would be like a dream. Yeah, we were talking to somebody recently, or I was, and... uh or no, you were telling me about someone that uh, was happy with their remote situation because uh, another situation that they had, they, or some of their friends, they work in call centers and even their bathroom breaks are scheduled. So, <laughs> you know, having that flexibility to do what you want as long as you get the work done is priceless. <laughs> oh man, if somebody told me to schedule when I need to go pee, man, that would not go well. Especially with the amount of water that I drink. <laughs> that is no bueno. So let's uh, let's dive into some of the nitty-gritty details of what we've learned over the last six years of running a remote company. And uh, I want to share eight tips for you to run in a highly effective and efficient remote team. So the first one is you want to make sure you have the right people on your team. This sounds like a cop-out. And if you've read any sort of business book, you hear this all the time, you know, have the right people. You want to make sure you hire the right people. And this is really the foundation for everything else. It doesn't matter what, te what technology you use, what kind of philosophy you have when it comes to management or how you work together. If you don't have the right team members, you want to make sure you have the right people. And like I said earlier, not everybody is suited for working remotely. And like I said if you have the ability to test people on the Colby score and you're willing to pay for that, which is, I believe, like $50 or so, so it's totally worth it, make sure you check the implementer trait. If they are a four or lower, they're suitable for working remote. If they're five or higher, probably not. So just be very mindful of that. I'm interested in something you said once, and I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on this. Uh, and that is when you're hiring right people and having this remote team, diverse, the diversity of team members, uh, 
is important. Like what, what do you mean when you say that when in the context of hiring for remote? Yeah, the diversity is important because when you have different types of people on the team, it brings a different type of, I wouldn't say energy, but just flow to what you're trying to do. Because if you hire, and this is very, very common, I've been prone to this as well, is when you're the employer, the first five to 10 people you hire tend to be the people that are very similar to you. Whether you realize that or not, that is something you do unconsciously. And this is something I wish I addressed earlier because as soon as I introduced other people who were very different from me to the team, it just allowed the productivity to, to go up quite a bit just because you get different perspectives, you get different types of things done. There's different ways of like looking at the problem and, and addressing it and that's why you want to always diversify your team as much as possible, which is why we use the wealth dynamics test to kind of figure out like everybody's strengths and weaknesses and how that fits within the team. And with, with a remote team, it's super, super easy to say, okay, everybody's going to be introverted. You know, everybody's going to you know, work one way, one style, and this is how we're going to roll. But then, yes, you'll get stuff done and you know, you'll probably be satisfied with the way things are going, but you're going to miss that. I don't know, like that X factor of, you know, that different perspective or the different idea or the different energy that the other people can bring to the team. For sure. And because with a remote team, you, all you really, like we talked about earlier, the only thing you can go on is, is how somebody consciously relates to the rest of the team and what they put out there it's really important that you have that mix because if you do have a team full of introverts who doesn't uh, like talking, then it's going to be pretty hard to build that cohesion and stuff like that within a team. You need the different types to kind of bring everybody together. And if you're going to attract a customer base that is diverse as well, which obviously you want, then you've got to have people who can relate to the different segments of your customers that are there. Yeah. And I think a good example of this is when you joined the team. <laughs> and I'm sure you, when you noticed the, during the huddles, it was very structured and very to the point. So when we were doing a daily huddle, it's like, okay, bam, 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 done. Okay. See you guys later. Bye-bye. And Where, with you coming going? on, <laughs> <laughs> with you coming on, like you brought a different type of energy to the huddles. Because you you brought a sense of humor, it was a little bit more fun, and we still are efficient, but now mm -hmm. it's it, it's a different kind of pace of how we go through the huddles, because it's very easy to say, oh, you know, let's just go through it like a checklist, and and that's it, and everybody goes their own separate ways. But uh, with with you coming on, it was a lot more fun, and I, you know, now we have like interesting facts, or people bring up jokes before we start our call, <laughs> you know, but. Uh, that that is something I didn't foresee until you joined, and that's something that, again, when once you have a more diverse group of people, it just brings that kind of different energy to it that just allows everybody to be happier, more productive, um, and also just really flourish. Uh, I'm happy to hear me acting like an idiot paid off for once. <laughs> <laughs> so tip number two is to have decision making guidelines in place, or 
Some people call it operating principles or operating practices. If you've read the book, Work the System, if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it by Sam Carpenter. He was on our podcast a bunch of episodes ago, and we'll link to it in the show notes as well. And he also was on the blog where we recorded a video with him where he talked about systems, where he interviewed us and asked us how we approach systems and systems thinking. So it was very interesting conversations. We'll link to that blog post as well, so you can kind of see how we both align around systems thinking. But the whole idea behind having decision-making guidelines, which is a term I used from Tim Francis from ProfitFactory.com, who was on the podcast as well, talking about 80-20. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's one of my personal favorites because it's so high level and strategic, but also something that you've never seen anywhere else before. So definitely check out that episode as well. But the, the basic idea is if you give people rules and guidelines, especially in a remote team, then people know how to act, what not to do, and what they should be doing. So you're really just putting boundaries in place. And this is something that's really important for a remote team because just imagine yourself sitting behind a laptop at a coffee shop you just got hired and you have this project that you need to work on. Let's say you need to write a post. What do you do? How do you behave? What's, what's, what is something that the company expects from you? What do team members expect from you? What do you expect from others? If you don't have that codified somewhere, it's really easy just to shuffle along, do whatever you want to do, you know, and hurt people's feelings or violate steps or ethics And so it's going to lead to a lot of friction and uh, unsatisfactory work. So that's why you want to make sure you codify a little bit of this is how we work. This is what's important. And here's the list of things that we're always reference. And this is how we try to get things done within our culture. And so, for example, when you came on, Brooks, I walked you through that, you know, operating practices list, which I have here. We have 10 of them. and. I'm I'm really curious to hear what was your impression as we were going through that list. Did that clarify things for you since it was pretty recent, or was it something that, you know, you were just like, oh, you know, yeah, it makes sense. Like everybody should do this kind of thing. <laughs> no, it was it was really really su- uh, really really handy uh, because well, first of all, I feel like not enough companies do something like this to really give some thought to decision making guidelines. So a, I was impressed that. A, you even did this in the first place. But B, if you think about it, if you're working in an office and let's say you're a new employee or a junior employee or any employee really, and let's say you have a situation you're not sure what to do. Well, what are you going to do? You're probably going to walk up to your supervisor or your boss or even a coworker or whatever and ask them, hey, what should I do when dot, dot, dot. But that's more difficult to do when you're working in a remote system and you could be in a completely different time zone. You know, you could be 12 hours different from your boss or coworkers or whatever. You don't have that ability to get a quick answer. But if you have decision-making guidelines in front of you, in a lot of cases, you just read through it and you're like, oh, okay, this is what I should probably do. So yeah, it's really handy and really important for remote teams. Yeah, because... Like you said, you can't just walk in and say, hey, how do you do this? Or where do I find this piece of information? Or what do we do when this happens? When you have these guidelines in place, you allow other people on the team to make more decisions and own their own decisions and really giving them the freedom to say, okay, this is how the company operates. This is how I'm going to interpret it. 
this is how I implement it. And then you just want to have regular check-ins with people and say, okay, hey, it seems like you did this. Um, what, you know, what was your decision-making process when you did this? Oh, well, uh, you know, if you look at our decision-making guidelines, this is how we tend to do things. So for next time, this is how, you know, I would suggest you would do this or, you know, you get the whole idea. So I want to give you a, a quick list of the 10 that we have. And I won't go in too much detail because we have so much other stuff to cover. <laughs> but uh, the first one is always represent the brand in the best light possible. So that's the first one. Second thing is we are who we are and where we are today thanks to our customers. Therefore, we treat customers with the utmost respect. Three, if you have a question you can't find the answer to, ask. Do not guess. Next one, we have if you, you are given freedom and flexibility to organize your own time and we expect you to deliver results. No excuses. So that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> uh, next one is every day might not be glamorous, but when it is, it's glorious. And what that really means is, is something I just have to clarify to people. But when you work remotely, like I said earlier, it can be really lonely. So not every day is going to be happy and sunshine and fun, but the results are going to speak for themselves. Everything is going to be there when a big payoff will come. And so every day might not be glamorous, but when it is, it'll be glorious. And an example of, of that is this past quarter, we worked really hard on launching a new course, Finishes Fastlane, that went really well. And it was definitely not glamorous when, <laughs> when things were launching. But the end result, it was glorious. And everybody got to enjoy the time off. Everybody was proud of the results. We had new uh, you know, personal records. We, we exceeded expectations. And it was all because of the not so glamorous days that led up to them. So uh, that is very typical when you work remote. So that's something I always emphasize to people as well. It's like not every day is going to be glamorous, but when it is, it is glorious. Uh, the next one we have is when you're high in inspiration, get to work. You can take a break later. This is something I always emphasize as well because everybody has a flexible schedule. You can do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. So if you're high on inspiration, go get it. Take advantage of it. Let's see. Number eight is if a problem occurs more than three times, this is an indication of a systemic error that needs to be corrected. The systems documentation is there for you to read and use. And I'm sure as Brooks can testify, we have pretty much everything documented. So if something happens over and over and over again, we need to fix the root cause of that and then update the documentation so people can reference that and use that uh, whenever they want to. Uh, the next one, number nine, the simplest solution is invariably the correct solution. So we like to keep things very simple to Asian efficiency. The simpler, the better. And then the last one, number 10, is company culture is something that we build and develop every single day. It is the sum of how we interact with each other, our customer, our brand, and our lives. So those are the 10 operating principles or decision-making guidelines of Asian efficiency. And we'll put those in the show notes as well. But as you were listening to that, can you just imagine when you just joined the company, you'll, you'll hear these 10 guidelines. Don't you just know right away how to act, how to behave, how to conduct yourself, right? It's just so much easier. So if you don't have any decision-making guidelines in place right now for your company or for your team, put that in place ASAP. Oh, I actually think we skipped one, which is actually one of my favorite ones. <laughs> so the last one is 
and this is one of my personal favorites, and we got this from Tim Ferriss uh, because he wrote about it in the 4-Hour Workweek. So the last one is, we expect all team members to be fiscally responsible and sensible. Use your better judgment. If it takes $100 or less to get it fixed, pay for it, and you'll be reimbursed for the expenses. No questions asked. So this is really helpful, and this is something I find in the remote team to be extremely powerful, is that if you need to buy something or you need to fix something and it takes money, just go ahead and pay for it, and we will reimburse you by the end of the month so that um, you don't have to even worry about it. Because a lot of times, you know, let's say you want to use a particular app, you have to buy some software. And this is something that happens all the time with us. It's like, you know, when we write reviews or we're trying new software for courses and stuff like that. If people on the team were to go, hey, Tan, can I buy this? Or hey, Tan, I need to purchase this. Or hey, Tan, I need to fix this. Can you make this purchase for me? Then I go crazy and I would never have any free time. But because we have this operating principle in place, people know, okay, if it costs less than $100, hey, you know, I can just go and purchase it and I'll be, I know I'll be reimbursed for it. No questions asked. So there's less red tape. People just get, get things done faster, quicker. And there's just no like, hey, I need to wait for 10 or I need to wait for somebody else before I can move on. So that is one of my favorite ones and one of the ones I would recommend you put in place as well. If you're working on a, like, just think about it. And I think a lot of people don't really realize the the damaging effects of this. If you've got somebody who's working on a project, they're, they have momentum, they're going for it. And then all of a sudden they need some sort of app or there's some sort of tool that would help them get their project done. Just think of the productivity destruction that happens when everything grinds to a halt because they have to ask around, get approval, blah, blah, blah. If, if we're able to just keep working buy that app, keep going, it, it really pays off like that, that $60 app pays for itself almost right away with the productivity, the lack of productivity downtime. Yeah. Just think about it from like a math point of view. If you pay your people, let's say $50 an hour, and that's like a six figure salary a year, essentially, if you pay 50 pay people $50 an hour and they have to wait an hour or two hours or even more before they can move on with a project, you just lost way more productivity momentum than it was worth. So $100 is kind of like an easy barrier to say, okay, just, you know, this is the cutoff, do whatever you got to do and we'll reimburse you for it. So especially if you have high leverage team members who are really smart and you pay them really well, then having something like this in place will save you so much money down the line and productivity. So I just cannot emphasize this enough, honestly. Now the next one, and this is regarding communication is really key as well, is you want to have communication guidelines in place. When you have a remote company and everybody's in different time zones and everybody's working at different hours, communication can be a bottleneck if you don't have these procedures in place. So for us, when we first started, this is something we didn't know. We we never heard anybody ever talk about this, and we kind of had to learn this on the fly and discover it. But now that we have, I want to you know, pass it on to you because this is going to save you a lot of frustration and headaches. So imagine this. Let's say you're working with somebody and uh, you're emailing them, but your expectation is to get a response within five minutes, and they end up replying five hours later. How do you feel? 
you're probably going to be frustrated. If your expectation is to get a response to emails within five minutes, well, guess what? Everybody's going to be checking the email all the time and you might get responses within five minutes, but then nobody's getting real work done, right? Or let's say you text people and you expect a response within five minutes as well, but they get back to you, you know, the next day. How do you feel then? Well, you'll probably be pissed off as well. So when you have remote team members, you want to make sure you have communication guidelines in place for all the different channels that you use to communicate. So for example, within Asian efficiency, we pretty much don't use email internally. It's very rare. And when we do, we expect that people get back to us within 48 hours. So that's the guideline we have is we communicate over email within 48 hours, we usually expect a response. The platform that we use in terms of collaboration for tasks and projects is Jira by Atlassian. And it's spelled J-I-R-A, Jira. And one of the channels we use for communication is we'll leave comments behind on the particular task or issues as they call them. So if I tag Brooks in the comments, my expectation is that I'll get a reply within 24 hours. So I know that, okay, if I tag Brooks and said, hey, Brooks, I just finished this uh, this email that I'm about to send out to our subscribers. Can you have a quick look at it? I know that he'll get back to me within 24 hours. And that's the expectation there for that particular channel. We also use HipChat, which is our instant messenger within the company. And the expecta- expectation there is usually within two hours, you'll get a reply. When it comes to texting, it's usually within an hour. And if we call people, it's pretty much instant. So by having these communication guidelines in place, not only will you prevent frustrations from happening, but also everybody else on the team knows what to expect when they communicate with other team members. Yeah, and even the call one, we never ever, or at least I've never experienced, and I don't think this is what we do as a company, but we never just call somebody. We always check to see, hey, are you available? Because that's one thing about the remote team is you can't look over and see what state someone's in, if they're in a deep work state, if they got their headphones on, if they're, if they're in a deep conversation with someone, you can't tell. So we always check to see if they're available for the call. And it allows people to, you know, move stuff around if needed, or if I need to talk to Brooks right away, I'll usually hip chat him and say, Hey, uh, I need to talk to you about X, ping me whenever you're ready to go. And I know, you know, usually within two hours, he'll get back to me. Usually it's within 30 seconds <laughs> because we, we sort of have this guideline in place that says, okay, if you're online in HipChat and it's green next to your name, I usually can expect a response within like five minutes because I know you're working on something yeah, uh, or you're at least available, I should say. Actually, that's a, that's a good point and that's a good lead into uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is it's really important that team members show what they're working on and it's really important if you're somebody who runs a remote company that you layer this um demonstration and and showing into the into your processes and this is one thing that's been great about scrum having the the scrum reviews and stuff like that and the daily huddles because again when when people are remote, like you have no idea what they're doing. So you want to have this way that people demonstrate, not just to your managers, but to their fellow coworkers as well, that people are actually, actually, uh, working on stuff. And it's interesting in the dojo chat room, 
Lisa shared that she's the only remote member of her team and her boss tells her that she's the most productive because she has to overcome that barrier. So she works hard to show that she's making progress with her projects and she has to make an effort to stay engaged. So it actually makes her look even more productive. And this is actually a mistake I made back when I was in a corporate department and one of my employees was moving. So I let him work remotely. And so we had the technology okay to make that happen, but I didn't really give enough thought into the processes and how this would all work. So we went through a lot of growing pains with that. Do you want to share some of your growing pains and bring back bad memories that you you (laughs) rather forget? Yeah, just just stuff kind of like I... I said, if the company, if everyone is gathering in the conference room for meetings, it can be really easy to forget that that lone person uh, is sitting there on the in the uh, on the phone on the speakerphone in the middle of the table because you're used to interacting in person. Or, you know, sometimes if the person didn't seem like they were there and contributing to our our chat room type thing, our Slack type thing, even though there was no Slack back then, you know, there, there was that aspect of, oh, is that person really working? And I didn't prepare everybody enough and myself enough to draw that out and to work that, uh, integrating that remote employee into the, the meeting. So, I mean, it all worked out fine, but it was definitely, uh, some bumps along the road. Yeah, I can definitely see that and i've talked to other um, employers and entrepreneurs who have a hybrid model where they have remote workers but also people working in the office yeah and the tricky thing there is to make sure that the remote workers don't feel like they're second tier that they're like not as important as the people who are in the office and that's i find a very difficult thing to do because one, we're human. So when we're in the same office, we just have more chemistry, more relationship than somebody who's remote. And like you said, it's just so easy to overlook them because they're just a, a name on a list, right? They're just like a, an avatar on a screen. Whereas if you are in an office setting, you literally see the other person in, in your building and you can see their facial expressions. You can see who they, who they are, what they are doing how they're feeling, what their emotions are like. So you just have this natural tendency to just give preference almost to them. Also, because sometimes if you have like a coder who's offsite and a coder who's onsite, if you need to get something done quickly, who do you go to? You're probably going to go to that person who's onsite, right? Even though that person offsite might be more suitable because they have the experience dealing with that particular issue or uh, they might be, you know, more knowledgeable that particular area, but you're probably going to go to the person who's on site because you know you can t- talk through it, you know, figure it out on the spot and get a result very quickly. Yep, definitely. And actually, you you made a good point about you know not having that personal interaction and being able to see you know what people are, are how are they're feeling, how they're doing, because that's another thing about remote teams that you really need to be careful of, especially if you're a manager. To a lesser extent, coworkers, but if you're a manager, 
you need to make a conscious effort to reach out to people and check in and and see how they're doing. Um, Scott Birkin, who's an author, he wrote this book called A Year Without Pants, <laughs> where he talks about his year working uh, at Automatic, the the company that makes WordPress. And that, I remember when I read that book, that was one of the things that he re- really struck him as experience as a remote worker is you can't see that those little those little um, things that you take for granted when you're working with people, you can't see the facial expressions, the body language. You can't tell when somebody's having a bad day or maybe in their personal life, um, they're having a rough time. It, unless the employee consciously shares that stuff, y- you would have no idea. And so as a manager, you've got a really expand like ninja skills to draw stuff out of your employees to make sure that that they're doing okay and that uh you know if you can help them if needed because it's way harder remotely and the other thing on top of that is you have to learn what their boundaries are Mm -hmm. and respect those as well because when you work remote it's really when you don't know people's boundaries it's really to it's really easy to then well overstep them and make them feel uncomfortable, I guess, because when you don't have that agreement, quote unquote, in place, and you don't see them, you can't see their facial expressions when you overstep a boundary. They might, especially when most people are kind of introverted, they might just hold it on to themselves and mm-hmm. keep it internal, yep. which then just leads to disgruntled down the line. So you need to be very, very careful in terms of overstepping boundaries and you do that by clarifying before before you start working together yeah for sure for sure and uh also you also in a remote team you need to be careful of work-life boundaries as well because when you're distributed all over the all over the world and when we all have these devices uh like slack hip chat texting uh you can communicate with anyone at any time you can be disruptive and not even trying to be. And that's really where communication guidelines, which you talk about, is even more important because you've got to have that expectation. I remember uh, a while ago, I, I unintentionally broke those guidelines and I sent Mike from the A team, I sent him a hip chat message and I had no expectation of him responding. It was even on a Sunday that I sent it. I just thought of something from a project. Uh, and then he goes, he kind of answered me and then we kind of started chatting about it and goes, Oh, I'll have to get back to you. I'm actually on stage at my church. <laughs> so that's a situation where I really should have um, just commented on uh, the JIRA issue because I had no need for an instant feedback. It was just, I reached for what was easiest for me. So you've got to be uh, really careful of that stuff. Yeah. Or like me pinging you at 3 a.m. in the morning <laughs> saying, Hey, I have this fantastic idea. <laughs> that we should do. Can you do this? That was my that was my own fault for not <laughs> for forgetting to turn the notifications off at night. <laughs> so what happened was um, during the launch of Fisher's Fastlane, I had a brilliant idea of doing something, and I I was already awake at like five a.m. maybe. So I was like, oh yeah, let's do this. I'm gonna ping Brooks right away, and I was not expecting a response because most people on the team. At that time, you know, have their phone turned off, but at least when they log in, they can see it right away. And then what I should have done was just commented on in a, you know, a specific page or on this daily updates, um, but I didn't. I was just 
like you said, I was going for the easiest thing, which was in my bed on my laptop, just pinging you, not expecting a response. But then I saw your green bubble come on. I was like, oh, no, I woke him up. <laughs> exactly. Well, that won't happen again, Brooks, I promise. <laughs> for another two years, at least. There you go. So number three. So the third thing I would recommend for you is that you have a project management philosophy in place. When you don't have this, you're going to just lead to unproductive team members doing unproductive things. So at Asian Efficiency, we follow this philosophy called Scrum. It's like an agile philosophy. And we find this one of the most effective ways of working together. Now, I'm not saying this is like, hey, you need to implement Scrum because it's the way of living and this is the way to go. But... The whole idea is if you can codify to your team how you work together by having the decision-making guidelines in place, but also codify how people collaborate and how they should work together in terms of projects and, and tasks and what that sort of flow and process looks like, then you're going to have really productive team members. If you don't have that in place, what that typically looks like, and this size this is something I see over and over and over again, especially with people who run online businesses, which a lot of my friends are and people that I meet at conferences and stuff like that, is that literally the way they work is the owner sets a vision for something. They set a deadline, let's say two or three months later, and you know they'll just get to work. And what what happens usually then is like a lot of frustration, a lot of emergencies, Parkinson's law starts to kick in. <laughs> And people go, oh, it's three months from now? Okay, yeah, you know, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. And then one month before the deadline, everybody's freaking out and overworking because they know and they feel that they can't hit their deadline. Because, you know, again, Parkinson's law, if you give people enough time or allocate a number of hours, minutes, or whatever time, people are going to fill it up and use that time to do whatever you need them to do. And so if you give people three months, well, guess what? It's going to take three months to get it done. If you give people something to do for two weeks, they're going to get it done in two weeks. So when you don't have a philosophy in place, you don't know how to manage people, uh, give feedback, work together, collaborate on stuff, you're going to just walk around being super, super unproductive. So whether you pick Scrum, XP, Kanban, whatever philosophy you want to follow, Make sure you have one at least because not having one is more expensive and time-consuming and frust- frustrating, if anything else, than having one that maybe you know is not an ideal fit, but at least you'll have something that allows people to work together more efficiently. Yeah, and I mean, not that you don't need these things in a local team as well because it definitely you definitely should have it, but it's slightly mitigated in the sense that a lot of times you're running into the people who are is doing these work, you know, you're bumping into them when you're getting coffee in the lunchroom or whatever, or in the elevator or that sort of thing. So you can have these kind of chats and move it along forward and like subtle reminders where when you're remote and you don't have these things, you're really dead if you don't have some sort of philosophy. Yeah. If I just imagine right now that I'm hiring somebody and they come on and they live in the opposite part of the country and they just know that they have to do X, Y, and Z. 
I'd be so terrified right now if I didn't explain to them how Scrum works. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just no way stuff would get done. And I would be really frustrated because then I would start micromanaging, which is something I don't want to do. And both parties are going to be frustrated because I'll be frustrated. I'll probably express my frustration to the other person. The other person is going to be frustrated because they don't know what to do and how to do it. So they're going to be frustrated. And then if they feel my frustration, they're going to feel frustrated and be unhappy. And then everybody is going to fail. So you want to make sure you have this codified internally. So again, we use Scrum. I'm not saying it's the best thing, but that's what we use. And this leads me to number four, which is tech infrastructure or your tech stack. So a lot of times people come to me and say, hey, Tan, what kind of project management uh, software do you use? And I say, we use Jira. And then they ask, okay, would you recommend that? And I say, no. (laughs) That's the end of the conversation. (laughs) No, no, I'm just kidding. So... Usually my answer to, to, or my response to their question is, okay, what is your project management philosophy? How do you manage your team? How do you guys work together? Because you want to make sure that you pick the tool that reflects and works with your project management philosophy. So when people ask me for the right tool or app, I always ask them, okay, what kind of system or framework do you follow? Right? If somebody is following GTD, I'm not going to re- recommend them pen and paper. Like That would make no sense whatsoever. Right. If they uh, follow, let's say the twelve week year, I would, I wouldn't recommend like pen and paper either. Or if they use GTD, then I would say, oh, you know, you should use OmniFocus because that that is kind of built on GTD, so that would be a good fit. So when it comes to project management, you want to make sure once you have your philosophy, that then dictates what kind of platform and tool you use. So early on at Asian Efficiency, we decided, okay, we're going to follow Scrum. And once we settled on that, then it became really easy to pick which kind of tool which we would use because a lot of tools would then be eliminated from the pool that we would pick from because they wouldn't follow Scrum, right? So again, philosophy, framework, whatever you want to call it, dictates what kind of platform or tool you use. Yeah. And one thing you talk about a lot is this concept of vertical integration, you know, because we use... So we use Scrum, that led us to Jira, also to Confluent. Because it's part of this Atlassian stack, we started using HipChat for communicating internally because these are all, you know, it's the same company, they're all tightly integrated. And so that was a conscious decision to use, for example, HipChat, even though Slack, for example, is more trendy. And we, and we use Slack too with our the members of our dojo, our productivity community, we use Slack with them, but internally we use HipChat because of that integration, even though it's kind of more trendy to use Slack, for example, because we chose integration over, over popularity, let's say. Mm-hmm. And because Jira works directly with HipChat exactly. and Confluence works directly with HipChat and Confluence works directly with Jira, all these three different platforms, they communicate very nicely. And so it allows for very streamlined operations. And yeah, it's not the popular thing to use HipChat. (laughs) Everybody seems to like Slack a lot more. But because they're vertically integrated and they are developed by the same company, it's just such a breeze to to use the tools because everything just communicates over. So for for example, if somebody leaves a comment behind on a particular task or an issue, as Jira calls it, it's going to be updated in the HipChat room in the right room that I want it to, to appear. So I know exactly what's going on. 
or um, I have a room called the Situation Room in HipChat, which basically gets fed every single update of what's going on in the company. So if somebody's moving issues around, moving status updates, or if they're commenting on stuff or they're deleting issues, I can see that in one screen. So it's kind of like the war room in a way. Mm-hmm. So for example, when I'm away and I want to get a pulse of what's going on or what the meeting rhythm is like or if people are working, I literally just go to the situation room and see, okay, on this day, a lot of issues moved around. On this day, it didn't. Okay, you know, maybe that's a talking point we can bring up on, on the team review and see what, what happened on Wednesday afternoon because nothing got moved there. Um, or I can go into Confluence and say, oh, you know, this is what happened. So that that integration just makes things super easy and gives you a better pulse of what's going on, as at least from a management point of view. But also, when the tools integrate together, um, usually fixes get done a lot quicker as well, because especially with Elastin, because it's a successful software company, uh, they're they're public now. Like you know, they're not going to go away anytime soon. You don't have to worry about the fact that you know, oh, you know, is this going to go down anytime? Like, do I ever have to move over? Like they recently bought Trello. Like they're really uh, on point. So you you just know that okay, this is going to scale. Because uh, one, one of the reasons we use this infrastructure is because we knew the bigger companies were using this. Um, like people at Spotify, Electronic Arts, like a lot of the bigger companies that I look up to and how they work, all use this platform, which is one of the reasons why we decided to use it when we, when we first started back in, I think, 2013 when we started using it. Because before then we used uh, Asana and we didn't have like a philosophy in place, which kind of led to a lot of haphazard work done. But once we introduced Scrum and Jira and, and all these tools, things became so much more efficient. So that's why we, you know, made that decision to to use those tools. And oh, one thing I want to bring up is one of the reasons we want to use this platform before anything else is because, and I know you know this, Brooks too. Switching platforms is extremely expensive in terms of cost, mistakes, and stress. If you've ever moved over an email list, like that is relatively simple. You just move a bunch of email addresses over to another platform. But even then, that is a nightmare. You can ask anybody who's ever done that. So imagine moving over projects, tasks, contractor information, all these like historic info that you have about uh, your team and stuff like that. Like moving that over to a new platform is extremely expensive, stressful. So you want to make sure you pick the right tech stack from the beginning as you know, as much as you can. So if you're thinking about moving, I would definitely hire a consultant who is knowledgeable about that sort of stuff. And you can find them on clarity.fm or upwork.com and talk to them. Talk about the migration plans. Talk about what you need to do, what do you need to set up, who do you need to hire and consult in order to get the right thing for your business. Because again, it's such an expensive mistake to make that you want to nail this down from the start. Cool. Let's talk a bit about, so one of the things with remote teams is a lot of times you do, you know, people do need to move around. How have you found when travel is involved? Like what's been some of the challenges around that? Well, doing this for six years now and (laughs) and somebody who travels a lot and all the team members who have traveled a lot, I used to think that, Okay, if I'm in a different location, I'll be just as productive. Or maybe I'm 80% productive, which is good enough as well. And things would just hum along and be fine. But the reality is when people travel, productivity dips quite a bit. And this is 
kind of a sad reality. And this is something I want you to know coming from my own experience that when you travel or you have team members traveling or they go to a new location, even if they go to a different part of town and they live there for like a week or something, they're not going to be as productive as they are at home for the simple fact that they don't have a lot of their equipments. They don't have the routines. Like they have to figure stuff out while they're there. Like if you're at a hotel in a different city, you have to figure out where's the gym. You know, what time do I have to wake up now? Uh, where should I go for food? Like there's all this cognitive load on top of what you normally do. And because of the unpredictable schedule and then the new time zone and stuff like that, like people are just never as productive. So if you're a manager or you're in a management position and you have team members traveling, just expect that their productivity is going to be like half, if not less of what it normally is. Yeah, that's been our experience too. Even if you're on quote unquote work travel uh, and your intention is to be working while you travel, you can still get a lot done. But, you know, chances are nine out of 10, the Wi-Fi at your hotel is going to be a disaster. So if you've got something kind of in- intensive that way, you've got to come up with a workaround and there's always something. Yeah, even being here, I'm right now in California as, a, as I'm recording this with you. And I have my laptop with me. I even brought an external mic so we can record this podcast. But even then, it took a while to set this up. And even being here, I I only have my laptop. Like I don't have my 29-inch screen with me where I can like put spreadsheets next to each other and look at stuff and have documents next to each other and create a great story and when I you know write certain copy and email and stuff like that. Like that's, none of that happens. Now I have just like this 15 inch screen where I have to do everything. So even though I'm getting quote unquote work done, I'm working towards outcomes. I'm just not as productive. And also I don't have my favorite chair with me. So I'm sitting on the stool <laughs> when I'm working on stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, I, I'm getting deep work done. It's just not as like productive as it could be. So just not, yeah, it's just not your, it's not your chair. It's a, you don't have your chair. I can understand. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not my chair. It's not my bed. It's not my blanket, not my teddy bear, none of that. I'm just not that productive anymore. So, so yeah, travel is just, uh, you know, as much as you think you could be as productive, just assume you're not. Like, this is something I've learned the hard way. And it also prevents a lot of frustration because if, from a management point of view, you know, when we're planning a sprint and I see that people are traveling, and if I assume that they're just as productive when uh while while they're at uh while they're traveling compared to when they're at home if i have that expectation and we don't hit our sprints i'm going to be upset because i had that expectation that we would be able to do it but the reality is running through multiple sprints that is just never the case so save yourself that you know upset save yourself the negative emotions just learn from me and and know (laughs) that when people travel, they're just not going to be as productive. Just take it, you know, and and go with that. All right. So number six, predictable meeting rhythms. So this is something I would recommend pretty much every company to have, but especially when you have a remote company, you want to have predictable meeting rhythms. And what I mean with this is like, if you have a certain meeting, you always want to have it on the same day at the same time, especially the time is really important. So for example, we have a daily huddle every day at 11 a.m. Central. People know that 
that is the meeting you have, always have to be on. It's never at 11.05. It's never at 10.55. It's never at 2 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the evening. No, it's always at 11 a.m. Central. So when people know that, they can organize their schedule based on you know if they're in a different location or if they have like a different schedule that they have to deal with you know personally at home uh, so for example you know some team members will, will change their schedule a little bit around because uh, you know because of summertime when when it's warm they tend to focus better at night or uh, maybe they have to wake up earlier for like jury duty or something or their kid wakes up earlier now because they have to go to school or whatever and they change their own schedule like when you have those anchors in place throughout your week and throughout your day, knowing like, okay, I need to be there at 11. I need to be at this meeting at three o'clock on Fridays. Like once you have that predictable rhythm in place, it allows for everybody on the team to say, okay, this is how I'm going to organize my schedule now. So everybody's way more efficient now. And if you don't have that, where people have to guess when a certain meeting is or when things are just being done, whenever you know somebody says, hey, we need to have a meeting right now people are just not going to be happy about that because it leads to a lot of unpredictability. And also you can't really organize your work and do the work when you are not knowing when the next meeting comes. Yeah. And also having these meetings and these uh, stakes in the ground that people know about, it just keeps things moving forward because again, you don't have those random run it, run into's with different coworkers when you're working in a remote team. So you need these things to gather around to make sure that everybody has what they need to keep going rather than always having to try, hunt people down and ask. Mm -hmm. And also from your point of view, right? You know what time you should be waking up. Like, you know, if your uh, kid needs like to make, if you need to make an appointment for your kid or something, you know, like ideally it shouldn't be at 11 a.m. Central. You would pick another day or a time and stuff like that. So it allows you to just zone in and figure out, okay, how can you create your ideal schedule knowing what these anchors are in your day? Yeah. And just to build on that, one of the things that a lot of employers are afraid of with remote work. And, you know, we talked a lot about the flexibility, which is just amazing, but I think a lot of managers and employers worry that, oh, my employees are just going to be off doing whatever they want. You can put structure around it. So for us, like you said, it's our, it's our scrum meetings uh, that we have. You can put those in place. It's just the employees then have the flexibility around it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I personally like predictability as well. If you're high on follow through on the Colby, you like predictability as well. So uh, <laughs> I would recommend that in general, but uh, whether you have a remote company or not, just predictability in general in your business is always a good thing. All right. So next thing is number seven. And I want to address a quick comment by Nate Lowry. He asked me in the Slack channel as part of being in the dojo, he says, what kind of teddy bear makes you more productive? <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a Louis Vuitton teddy bear, just in case you, you want to, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I wish I had one. Um, so number seven is set up systems as you grow. Everybody knows who runs a team or runs a business is that systems is the key to grow. When you don't have systems in place, you're going to have a lot of emergencies. Things are going to be unpredictable. Product quality is going to be inconsistent. Everything else is going to be relatively inconsistent. So when it comes to having a remote team, documentation and systems becomes even more important because it's not like you can sit next to each other and say, hey, this is how you do things. 
do this, right? So you want to have documentation in place. And also, and this is something a lot of people don't talk about, is when you travel, a lot of times when you come back from travel, you forget a lot of times how you do certain things. This happens to me all the time. Like I will even forget how to do my morning ritual. So I literally have to go to my Evernote and see, okay, what was this morning ritual again? Oh yeah, this is the step. Step one, step two. Okay, got it. Now I'm back into the swing of things. Same thing in business. In business, you have so many things going on that if you don't have it documented, if you go travel, which is very uh, common when you have a remote company, then by the time you can get back, it's very easy to forget how you send out an email or how you do a certain review or how you do XYZ process. So by setting up the systems and then also documenting them as you grow, it makes it much easier for other team members as well to follow how you like to do things. At Asian Efficiency, we have pretty much everything documented. So it makes things very easy. And when we have meetings, we can say, oh, hey, if you don't know how to do something, we actually have an SOP for this. Go check out this URL. Here you go. You know, and now you can move forward. And um, with remote teams as well, because you can't sit next to each other, it's like, yes, you can record your screen and you know say, okay, watch this video, but it's really inefficient because watching a video that is like 20 minutes long is not as efficient versus like one page of like steps written out in bullet form that can be consumed in like 30 seconds. So that's why like people talk about like, oh, you should record videos and all that stuff. Like, no, don't use videos. You only want to use videos for the first time you introduce something. After that, you always want to have a written form of it because it allows so much for, it allows for faster consumption and it's much easier to digest and follow as well. Yeah. Just speaking from my personal experience, there are some uh, SOPs as we call them uh, that do have videos, but I don't think I've ever watched one because the text is there also, and that gives me the answer that I need. And like you said, pretty much anything I need to do is all documented. So that's a really big benefit for new employees. And also, like you said, you just forget things and it's not even traveling. There's certain things you only do, you know, once a quarter or whatever. And so having that there really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And if you're not used to documenting stuff and you want some more specifics around that we actually have a recorded presentation of this inside the dojo so if you're a dojo member just log into the dojo and just uh, on that page where we see all the video training stuff if you scroll all the way to the bottom it's one of the bonuses that we have in there where we show people how we document stuff and how we write sops so if you're a dojo member definitely you know go check it out right now if you're not a dojo member go join us and you can go to the productivityshow.com slash dojo. So <laughs> going to number eight, this is the last tip and last strategy I want to share with you is get face-to-face as much as possible. And what I mean with this is when you have a remote company, it's really easy to say, okay, let's just meet once a year and you know, kind of get together and that kind of thing. But what I would recommend is that when you have a remote company, you want to use any excuse you have to get together as much as possible. because Working in person and collaborating in person is so much more efficient and productive than doing it over Skype, Zoom, whatever, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, right? So when you need any excuse or reason to brainstorm or collaborate, especially if it's a bigger project, something that you know could change your business or something you want to implement next year, set aside 
maybe like a couple days with the team to do this. So this is one of the reasons why we do our quarterly planning in person. So every single quarter, Mike and Brooks fly to Austin. We get together for like three days. We plan the whole quarter and then everybody leaves and then goes back to actually implementing it, right? We could have done this, you know, if you wanted to save money, we could have done this over Skype or Zoom. But, you know, let's be honest, who wants to spend four hours wearing headphones being in front of a laptop. Like nobody wants to do that, right? It's also not as productive and efficient because again, you don't see the emotion, body language, facial expressions, even on video, it's not the same thing. So get face-to-face as much as possible. So we do that, for example, quarterly where we do um, the planning. And then we do that once a year with our retreat where we go over annual goals as well and kind of like the vision, what we're trying to do in the future, but also for us uh, to hang out and spend time together. The, the whole idea behind this like, is if you can collaborate big idea stuff in person, then all you just have to do is execute while you're remote. And that's the whole thing. It's like do the brainstorming, the heavy lifting in person, and then do all the execution stuff while everybody's in their home turf. And if you can do that, you'll see that things will be so much easier when you run a remote team. Yeah, there's this feeling that, that it's an either or you either have people work remotely and if you do you lose all these benefits of the face-to-face stuff but like you said you don't need those benefits for everything so as long as you're getting those the the big things the strategy things the the things that are going to set the agenda for for us it's quarterly other companies do it annually i think quarterly is a little better but that's just the way that we work you you get the the best of both worlds without having to pay for an office. Although some companies do pay for space just so they have somewhere for remote employees to congregate. So that's an option as well. But, you know, it doesn't have to be an either or thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the past, what we've also done is uh, if we have like a very big project and it's very urgent, sometimes we'll just even fly people into the same city so we can just work together for like a couple of days to finish stuff. We've, d- we've done that in the past before, and that seems to be really effective as well. So it's not very common, but we have done that before. And I, I always remember the good times of that because, as you know, Brooks, we always like to eat good food when we're in person. <laughs> A lot of good food, yes. I'm still full from my last Austin trip. <laughs> <laughs> so those were the eight tips. So just to quickly recap, first one is get the right people. Second one is have decision-making guidelines in place. The third one is have a project management philosophy in place. Number four, once you have that, then implement the tech stack. So once you have your project management philosophy, then pick the right tools and platforms that align with that. Number five is expect productivity to dip when people are traveling, including yourself, no matter what kind of superhuman powers you might have. Number six is create predictable meeting rhythms. So have anchors in your day and week that people know that they can uh, schedule things around. Uh, seven, set up systems and documentations as you grow your business. And then number eight is get face-to-face as much as possible. So we spilled a lot of stuff in here, stuff that we had to figure out over the last six years that you can you know, now shortcut that process And if you want to align yourself with other people like ourselves and other people who work in a remote company or managing remote teams or have best practices, share it inside a private forum, you can join the dojo. 
This is our monthly membership where we have some of the smartest people in productivity hanging out, spending time together and sharing ideas and workflows and things that is not publicly available anywhere else. So if you want to join the dojo, you can go to the productivityshow.com slash dojo. You can join right now for just $1 for your first month. After that, it'll be $29 going forward. But for the first month, you can try it out for a dollar. See if you like it. You get to hang out with me, with Brooks and Mike and all the people on the team. You get to hang out with all the people we're really into productivity. You get to see how they set up their workflows and their task managers and calendars and their remote teams and some of their best practices. So definitely go check it out. So go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. And if you want to get the show notes for all of the things we talked about today and the bullet points and things like that, you can go to theproductivityshow.com slash 153. And again, thank you so much for being on today. And we'll see you next Productive Monday.